0: Welcome to Series 10, Episode 4 with Wembley hero Matty Blair. Matty joined York City in 2011 after working his way up through the levels in non-league and had two memorable seasons at Booth and Crescent. Blair scored 27 goals in just over 100 appearances for the Minstermen, which paved the way for a successful career in the Football League with Fleetwood, Doncaster and Cheltenham. York City supporters fondly remember his energetic performances and crucial goals for the Minstermen, and here Matty looks back on that time as well as his wider career. These podcasts are a spin-off from York Hospital Radio, a charity celebrating 59 years on air, providing a vital service to patients in York Hospital. If you are able to donate, then please do so via justgiving.com slash York Hospital Radio. That's justgiving.com slash York Hospital Radio. But now without further ado, here is episode four with the wonderful Matty Blair. Okay, so
1: delighted to have you on the podcast, Matty, and, and having recently retired, I thought it'd be a great chance to sort of look back on the on your sort of best moments in football. First of all, I wondered how and when you sort of got started playing football as a young boy, how was it having a dad who had not just been a professional footballer but sort of a European Cup winner and um, with Aston Villa? I wonder whether that was a help or a hindrance to your sort of growing up as people would naturally sort of make comparisons
2: as a kid as a youngster I probably wouldn't have really known so my dad's very much sort of he's laid he's laid back with it all he's very down to earth he's, he's very just a dad really not a European cup winner I was very lucky as well to have some experiences that normal kids don't necessarily have but I went, on the whole he was a worker you know he, he went to work he came home he did the dad stuff you know and it was just a normal bloke in my eyes and it's only really till I started playing a youth team level a a part-time level that people started comparing me to him so I was Matty Blair, Andy Blair's son and it was one of the first programs back in the day you'd get a tiny little write-up a little picture and a tiny little write-up and it was Matty Blair, son of Andy Blair and that's all it said and it's probably the best write-up racing to Warwick have ever done because it really hit home that Hang on a second, I don't want to be this. I'm here I'm by myself. My dad didn't really get involved too much. He didn't really get involved in my football career. He just sort of advised when I asked him. But yeah, I, I was very much, yeah, I want my own name. I want I want to be my own person, whatever that is. You know, the heights of winning the European Cup from playing for Racing from Warwick as a 16-year-old was, was a million miles away. But just to make my own name was, was my goal and drive at that
1: age. I mean, you, you work your way up through the league. You mentioned uh, Racing Club Warwick and you played for Strat- Stratford Town, Bedworth Town, Redditch United, Telford. Was it a conscious decision to sort of go that route rather than like an apprenticeship with a pro club? I didn't know whether that was an option or how you kind of... No,
2: I never, no, sorry. no, never got a chance. Never got a chance. There was kids in my, in my school that were going to Birmingham, Coventry. You know, there's a, a club, it was Solihull. It's Solihull Moors now, but it was it was Solihull Borough and Moor Green at the time. And yet they, they were getting all their trials and their opportunities. I had one trial for Solihull Moors that was just coming together and never got in. So I just loved playing football. I know it's a bit of a cliche here, a lot of people say it, but I'd have played at any level. And then all those clubs you just mentioned there were like, because back in then, well, still probably the same now is non-contract so it's you can put seven days in for players I was getting approached by those clubs all who I felt were a step higher and I was going right okay I'll go and test myself again and again and again and again and then all of a sudden I managed to get to a full-time club and made a made a career out of it so that was my route through and Never thought I'd do it. Glad I did. Happy I did. Thank you very much. Do you, do you think it benefited you sort of playing men's football? Because a lot
1: of us sort of, you mentioned people who were maybe at your school who went and signed for Filler or Coventry as, as a youth team player, might might not have even had the opportunity because you get a lot of players in football now, don't you? They play under 23s football till seemingly they're about 25 and then they've never played a game of men's football in
2: their life. Oh yeah, without a doubt. What helped me, because I was small as well, you know, I'm not the I'm not the biggest lad as it is as you can see. Anyway, but I was small. I didn't really like have a growth spurt till 15, fifteen, sixteen, or maybe even seventeen. But obviously, I was quick and I worked hard. And I think they're the two things that have stayed with me throughout that got me to where where I ended up. And I had my my brother four years older who played on a Sunday for a club called Cove Rangers, and I'm on the player of the year medal for Coventry Rangers reserve team on a Sunday league but those years those two year season season and a half in a Sunday league playing against drunken men as a, as a boy that all they wanted to do was snap me because they they couldn't catch me, and they weren't fit enough. That massively like toughened me up, and that was a big reason. With my cousin and, and friends that I speak to now, I see my brother's group of friends that I'm still well in touch with. Without them, at sixteen, I, I'm, I'm still might not have made it to where I got to and I think along the way you had a
1: trial Gary Mills at Tamworth as well I know he, he didn't take you on there but do you ever sort of think did you ever imagine oh, I might end up playing for him in the future
2: no never never so that was at uh, I was at Stratford where I was at, started a race with and then went to Stratford and Mickey Moore uh, uh, the manager at the time he put me in another player forward to t- Tamworth who I believe were in the conference north uh, but we're top of the league and we went there me and jack we had a few weeks trial there they were more than part-time less than full-time so monday tuesday thursday game on saturdays so yeah we went there as a trial under gary mills little did i know that he was watching the progression of me and probably jack because we never got offered the chance to play for him that time and a few years down the line I managed to get a few more games under my legs in in men's football at better levels going up, like I've just said. And then he rang up to say, right, I'm at York now, come with me to York. And then the rest is history.
1: I mean, just before we get to York, I mean, your career really kicked on when you you went and played for Steve Burr at Kidderminster 2010-11. But I believe you were still sort of doing other jobs around that time. And and some of these were fascinating. I mean, even after Tuesday night games, I think one of them was being... Dressed as an Andrex puppy. And um, I mean, it must have been quite surreal <laughs> yeah. looking back at the sort of way you had to balance your sort of football and, and work around that
2: time. So, what ended up happening is I did every job I could that didn't interfere with football. So, when I say interfere with football, we're talking Tuesday night, Thursday night, game on Saturdays. That was my footballing week. But I was 16 to 21, 22, something like that. And I just thought to myself, I'm going to give it everything I've got. If I don't get there, so be it. I've, at least I can say I've tried. So what I was doing, I was, in a, I was a, an apprenticeship electrician, but the person I was working for didn't like the fact I had to leave early on a Tuesday and a Thursday, or say early, three o'clock on a Tuesday, Thursday, um, and not work Saturdays. So that lasted nine months. I went and did some bar work in a place local to where I live now and my brother again big inspiration throughout it all he did a thing called a promotion work he was a promotion worker so when you go into town you see people handing out flyers or freebies or whatever blah blah, blah. but that's almost like you're self-employed so he got me into that line of work and then all of a sudden I was getting emails to say do you want to be an Andrix puppy at the ball ring arena absolutely why wouldn't I be that sounds like a Real good laugh. But that was doing it during the day. And then at the night I could still go and play footy. The one that you were talking about there was um, a job for Tropicana where I, we played against Crawley, into the Crawley. Evening game, two o'clock in the morning. I was walking around the streets in an Eaton, putting Tropicana on people's doorsteps for two till seven, a five-hour shift, and then going home and going to bed because the, it was earning me good money and it wasn't interfering with football. So I could do both, and that was it. Was perfect for me, and it was only when I moved up to York then that I couldn't do the promotion stuff because it was all in the Midlands based. I could have got some up in up in the in Yorkshire, but I, I, I then thought, no, I will actually just concentrate a bit more on footy than and dressing up as an Andreas. To do that, <laughs> yeah, but I loved I loved it. I loved it honestly. It, it, it's it's a line of work. It's I'm am an outgoing sort of person anyway, but like I'll go back to it. It was what I needed to do to maintain a football career or just to keep playing football. And I was earning the money I needed to earn to live. So I was earning my money and I was playing football as well. And it was perfect. Because I think you scored a
1: hat-trick for uh, Kidderminster against Grimsby, didn't you? And I think I, think I read somewhere that you were working yeah. again later that night. That must be incredible to think just a few yeah. hours ago. I'm, oh, yeah. I'm there scoring a hat-trick in in, in yeah. what is, you know, a very good level of football. I get
2: it. It, 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 it sounds like I made this stuff up. But yeah, I uh, it was in Nottingham, walkabout. It was planned. So with Grimsby away, we travelled to Grimsby away, scored a hat-trick. Obviously, that bit probably wasn't planned, but... <laughs> brilliant and then we went to walkabout where i was handing out morgan spice to people that would want to try it and my me and my brother and my sister and my sister and all my brother's wife were all there and i said to and i looked at him and said nobody in this building knows i scored a hat trick against grimsby today and we both had a laugh and we i think we did have a little sip of morgan spice even though we didn't like it and yeah we just enjoyed basically what we were doing And that's the main part of anything in life, I believe. And you mentioned there about sort of
1: being based in the Midlands because, you know, you signed for York City in uh, 2011 and, you know, a lot of non-league players do stay fairly local, don't they, from from where they're sort of based. I mean, that must have been quite a big, big sort of thing for you to sort of leave your sort of roots and, and move to York City. What convinced you to sign for Gary Mills at York City?
2: So the move side of it, wasn't necessarily that big of an issue because I was focused on doing what I needed to do to give it a go, like I said. I don't, didn't want any regrets. And moving away from home, I could drive. I had a car, I could drive. So worst case scenario, I'd just drive home if I if I needed to. But when I got up to York and I met Gary Mills, I gave myself the day to walk around the city and get a feel for the place and everything else. And I really enjoyed the vibe. Really enjoyed everything about it. I did the same at Cambridge because I had conversations with Cambridge that, that off-season or, or post-season, should we say. And Cambridge is lovely, don't get me wrong, but everything was still a little bit more like of an effort. Whereas I went to York, I parked up and I didn't get back in my car until I went home. So I walked from the ground to, to the city. I walked, I had, a, I had a walk around the city, had a cup of coffee, walked to a few estate agents, had a look around, just got a real feel for the place. And I thought, I like it here, and I love the place. To be honest, I'll try and get back as, as often as I can. Obviously, being in the Millions is not like it down the road, but yeah. And the, the time I had there probably made it even more special.
1: You had an incredible start for York I mean, you scored on your home debut versus Barrow. I think it was a fifth minute of injury time. I watched it back early. You sort of knee slide in front of the David Longhurst. End. And I remember everyone was sort of blown away with your pace. Was that something you mentioned earlier that you, you've always been quite quick? Was that I didn't know whether you're sort of a runner at school or whether that's the sort of natural that natural pace
2: that you've. I think it's just natural. My dad, again, he's always been quick. My uncle Mark, the the, the Blair gene, have, have have always been fast. And you know, I don't think my mum was a slouch either. So yeah, I think between just it's a gene that I've had, but I'm very fortunate to have that to have had that ability, and I maxed it out. And yeah, just I don't know. Just obviously ran.
1: Run and run. I mean, he's got he's got an incredible twenty goals for the season, and we'll discuss some of those sort of individuals ones shortly. But but given that that's your best ever sort of goal tally uh, throughout your career, was that just because Gary Mills sort of allowed you to sort of express yourself, and and the same with other players? I think there was a lot of other players who was same sort of thing that their best goal return was was playing for York City.
2: Without a doubt, Gary Mills he gave me the freedom. He allowed me and the other lads, not just me, within a structured shape to just go and express ourselves ourselves and everything else now if all the, the 20 goals I was told were all one touch now that means I'm close to the goal because I was fit enough to to be there and get back you need to be quite fit to do it you, you see a lot of strikers that will stay out of the box or I don't call myself a striker, but you know, like the opposite winger when it's on the far side will stay out of the box because the chances are that they're probably thinking, oh, I won't go in on this one because I won't get it and I'll just, I'll just stay here and I'll just in my shave and blah, blah, blah. But I was always at the back post ready to just tap them in effectively. And luckily for me, I managed to probably do that. 20 times in the season well pretty much 20 times in the season it helps when you've got such good players around you that are putting balls into areas where it means you're just drop there but yeah it, I, I put myself in those positions and and got more rewards for probably the work rate that, that were put in but so did Jason Walker that season Jamie Reid, Ashley Chambers, Paddy McLaughlin you know there was there was they were all those lads were I think 10 plus and yeah that all comes from a freedom as well as our work rate and effort to to want to score.
1: And I recently, in fact, I was reading it this morning. The the new sort of York City fans in that came out, and it was sort of talking about players' um, experiences over Christmas and and how they found that Michael Ingham was talking about the Christmas party that you players were thinking was going to get cancelled. I think we we drew uh, Solihull and the FA Trophy, and I think Gary had said, "Oh, if it was a draw or you got beat, it wouldn't be happening." And then he did let you kind of go out on the Christmas too, and and apparently. Michael said that everyone was sort of hanging in training on Monday still, and it was a real poor training session. But then you scored twice in the replay on the Tuesday. I just wondered if you remembered yeah. that that sort of what Michael was saying there about, about oh, that Christmas deal. And...
2: I, I remember it all. So John Chaloner scored in the 88th or 90th minute to make it 2-2, which meant a draw, which the draws were played on the Tuesday night. We were all going to Newcastle on, on for the Christmas deal on the Saturday. And Gary Mills, being Gary Mills, did say that before the game, you won't be going blah, blah, blah. And then obviously that happened where he's in that situation. And I remember him asking Danny Pilkington, and Pilks wasn't playing at the time. And I think he'd been left out of the squad for that game. So he was a little bit annoyed anyway. And Pilks just said, Yeah, let's go. I think we should go. And all the lads, which I remember, oh, I did. I don't know about all the lads. But we just all stared at Gary Mills, thinking Pilks was meant to say, no, nah, let, nah, let's not go. Let's Let's, you know, let's head down, train Monday. And Gary Mills just went, Okay, right. See you later, then, lads. We'll train Monday afternoon just to get get it all out of your legs, and then we go down and beat Solihull on Tuesday. And we've never got out of the building so fast to get up to Newcastle and have a have a decent time and a decent day together the next day and and enjoy each other's company. Lo and behold, we're all there Monday, yeah, hungover, but still getting it out of our legs, getting ready to go, and then Tuesday comes, do the job get the result and then the rest and then we go on to obviously win it but yeah that team spirit that you hear even the England lads talk about in the World Cup now and everything else we had that in abundance and that's just another part of it and I think Gary Mills knew that as well. I mean
1: I hadn't realised until I was looking back earlier that the 8 of the 20 goals that you scored that season were in the FA Trophy I mean it was a a, you know, a yeah. really good good effort in that in that particular competition, including the crucial header that got us to Wembley in the last minute versus Luton. I mean, you obviously will have heard about the bad blood between sort of York and Luton fans before you arrived at the club, I'm sure. Um but I mean that must have been a great feeling for you Percy to know that, that, that header had, had got the club to Wembley regardless of what was gonna happen in the league
2: sort of going forward. It was a great weekend. So uh, again seventeenth of March. My sister had a little girl on the 18th of March. Sorry, I had to think now because I thought, it was, I thought it was my sister-in-law. But no, my sister had a little girl on the 18th. So that weekend, Saturday, Sunday, it was a double celebration for the family. But yeah, again, just being in the right place. Uh, Jamal Firefield putting in a, a, a lovely cross. It was 1-0 at the time, which was 1-1 one, one on aggregate, wasn't it? Mm. So yeah, to, to score that late on and, and to, to give us an opportunity, my first opportunity to play at Wembley was, was something very special. And we prepared for it as a family, and um, we took a literally a few coach load falls down to, to enjoy the day and, and and enjoy the experience of it. so really special moment in life that will stay with me forever. And same again with the,
1: with a the playoff semi final against Mansfield. I mean, again, your goal gets the club to Wembley for a, for a second time, and you had a knack of sort of scoring these really important, crucial goals for York. It was quite. A, I didn't again looking back today. I didn't realize it was only five days after the the games against Mansfield that we played Newport at Wembley, and it was quite a grueling couple of games against Mansfield, wasn't it? Almost quite it was quite tight, I think, and went to extra time, and yeah. and Paul Cox's team are were always quite direct, I think, and you're always in a battle aren't you playing them so was you, I didn't know if any of the players were tired sort of going into that, that first Wembley game or was it just sort of a momentum and the confidence of, of getting there just allowed you to sort of carry on as normal
2: no no no, no. We no. five days is more than enough to recover but saying that we enjoyed the celebrations of getting to the playoff final that night as well that but... Yeah, Gary Mills knew how to knew how to sort of get the best out of us in terms of he knew that we would run through brick walls for him and always had the respect for him. And then he he also knew that not to treat us like kids or prisoners or anything else. And yeah, he he knew what he'd get out of us. He he and Darren G were incredible with with knowing the squad and knowing how to sort of keep everybody happy, which is the big thing. It's, it's easy for the starting eleven; they're they're easy to keep happy. You've got Mokes, you've got Potsy. That are just two lads that just come straight to mind. That brilliant lads. Brilliant, brilliant lads just to be in and around it and always there with a smile on their face and will always come on and do a job should they need to. Uh, and yeah, it, it just the whole squad that season was, was pretty special.
1: Yeah, and he, even ones like Scott Brown as well in the playoff final. I mean, he, he was kind of Amazing. hardly played any games and then all of a sudden he, he came on in the first half, didn't he? And, and put in a great, great performance. Amazing.
2: And- Amazing, it, him, him or land or banj Man of the match in that final, like uh, incredible. Like obviously, the substitution needed to be made early because John Chaloner went off, and you just thought that I think Lamare was playing midfield at the time, and you just thought, well, Paddy McLaughlin was on the bench; he would be the natural one to come on. And then all of a sudden Scott Brown's come on and he didn't stop running for the whole, for the whole game. And he was, he was outstanding. Like, what a performance. And you, you just, that was, that's what I mean. The whole squad was just ready, knew exactly what to do, but ready, ready for each other to go, right, we're in this together, lads. Let's give it a go.
1: Just going back briefly to, to the Newport game at Wembley. I mean, obviously you get, you get the first goal as well. And I mean, again, another one touch finish and, and sort of played the ball, played mm-hmm. over the top tier and, and kind of, you know, great finish, lofting it over the goalkeeper. It was sort of come out. Did he sort of make your mind up for you, the keeper coming out?
2: Yeah, uh, it, it was not easy. But when I saw him coming, I knew he was never getting there first. And that was a doddle. To be honest, I don't think I actually meant to put it in first time. I, I just meant to get it over it. And that's why I ran, literally like ran it in until I realised actually it's on in, I don't need to touch it again because I thought to myself, right, I need to hit this again just to tap it in. And as soon as it went over him, but yeah, he he made my decision or he made it easy for me because I knew as soon as I saw him coming, he was never getting there first.
1: And do, do you think it helps sort of playing at Wembley the, the week before in terms of the Luton game because? You know there's a lot of psychological factors wasn't there? the fact you you'd been there a week before so you'd kind of got the nerves out of your system I mean I imagine a lot of you had just played at Wembley for the first time against Newport also like the fact Luton had never beaten York in the four meetings during the, the season as well
2: yeah now all of that helped but I think the early goal for Luton stupid as it sounds probably helped as well because Luton were what four to one uh, like in terms of like you know, fans you know it was a wall of orange. And when we came out and the early goal I think settled us a little bit to be honest in terms of we went 1-0 down a few times that season and always sort of managed to come back so we had that grit. We had that resilience. We had that way to win. And I don't think anybody panicked when we went 1-0 down. And it's almost like, right, okay, not an ideal start, but we've been here before. We know what it's like being 1-0 down. Let's just calm down. And then from that moment, we probably settled in better and then managed to to nick the game. Obviously, it's a very open game, very even game. On another day, we'd lose it, but it was meant to be. They love England, France. England should have won the game. They lost that was us on another day we probably lose the game but it was meant to be our day you know it was meant to be a moment for for Ashley Chambers a moment for myself Larry Banjo again headering it off the line putting literally his head on the line cracking heads with their lad just yeah there's there's loads of bits you remember from that game now that you think wow like yeah okay it was our day
1: and you, you remember timing your run to perfection yeah to stay on side <laughs>
2: <laughs> yeah, yeah I, I remember I remember that well
1: <laughs> but I imagine at the time you wouldn't have even had a clue that it was even close I mean I, no. I didn't as a support. I remember my dad telling me later on oh yeah it, it was offside but, but yeah, I had no idea yeah. when the game was going on
2: no I, I still had no idea because I had an interview at the end with the, the press in in effectively the Wembley press room and that was a bit sort of like wow okay I'm looking up at people looking down at me here um, and, and a few people asked me I still was like oh, what are you on about? Like I've got no idea. I haven't seen it back. Like mm. I've been celebrating it now. I'm not bothered what the goal was like. The goal was scrappy. It was a it was a fluke. It went through the keeper's legs as well. Like it was a fluke. And the fact it was offside makes it even more of a fluke. But I'm not bothered how it went in. It it, it went in and, and the linesman didn't put his flag up. So yeah, the the few journalists at the end even even asked the question, Ah, oh, you know, you're no, I genuinely didn't. I didn't have a clue until I saw it back a few days later. Yeah. And more would you,
1: would you care? For a, For a team to win on consecutive weekends at Wembley is a fantastic achievement. But for you as well as a, as a, a player from a personal point of view, it must have, I don't know whether it's something you've maybe appreciated as you got older.
2: Appreciate it now. I didn't really at the time understand. I remember my brother saying to me, you've had the best season of your life and you won't ever beat that. And it was probably, it was true. If I was to give you a... Basically, a book and ask you to write yourself how you would want a football season to go. I don't think I could write it better myself in terms of scoring 20 goals, scoring in both semi finals, scoring in both finals. Just, yeah, you'd be like, okay, all right, mate, calm down. So, yeah, when when I look back at it now, I, I think, yeah, they were those eight days plus the two semi-final, well the whole season actually, forget that, the whole season, was a pretty special time in my career which 100% helped me to kick on to where I ended up going and for that I'll be forever grateful for. How big a deal is it for a player to
1: play in the Football League and was that your ambition sort of going through when you were going up through these teams and like you say you were there for a year and then you'd push on to the next level, was the Football League on was the aim for you?
2: It was the, the next step. It was almost like I said to you before, Racing Club Warwick was Midlands combination or Midlands Alliance or something like that. And every team that I felt I went from Racing Club Warwick was a step up. It might have been in the same league, but it might have been a better team in that league. That's what I felt at the time. So it was a step up. And the next step was from the conference to the Football League. We managed to do it as a team with York. And I, I like I say, I just wanted to keep going and, and working and going and going and going just to see how far I would get. You know, um, League One was the highest I got to. I, like I said to you, I never thought I'd get anywhere near League One. And people will say, oh, What about did you regret the championship? Or, or, or like, I, I never had an opportunity for that. And to be honest, I, I wasn't good enough for the, the championship. I got to where I need, I got to through hard work and determination as a footballer there was many many better footballers than me that like I was never never one of the best in, in any team that I played in but like everybody sort of will say to me now you, you worked your socks off and you didn't give up and they're two traits that will stick with me, hopefully, in, in my in my life now going forward. So, yeah, we'll, we'll see where it takes me next. But that they were two things I had installed in me, probably from my dad.
1: York started really well in the football league. didn't I mean, I know the opening day defeat to Wickham, but you know, around Christmas time, I think we were really near the playoffs. And I think you scored in a mm-hmm. win over Burton Albion on New Year's Day. And I think that was Gary Mills' last win. But I remember going to Rotherham United, which is Gary's second to last game. You scored and then they they equalised in sort of injury time. And I always felt I've yeah. always felt that Gary might have kept his job if we'd have just hung on that night. I didn't know what you thought about yeah. that.
2: No, so we were yeah. hearing a few little rumours of the Gaffer under pressure. Oh, you, you, you go in, was it? That would have been 15 games, wouldn't it? Without a win, then because he was 17 overall, wasn't it? You hear rumours that Gary Mills is under a lot of pressure. And the the rumor mill circling in terms of people that are after his job and this and the other blah, blah blah. And we as a group of lads before the game, I think we were in a huddle. We just got got us together without the gaffer there and said, "Look, lads, Rotherham is a derby, Yorkshire is a derby," and they were like some big guns in there and we were just like right we have to put on a show here we have to we have to get a result we have to put on a performance and yeah we, we went one nil up with 5 minutes to go I think it was something like that and you could see the devastation in all of us when they scored even though a draw was still a good result away to Rotherham the next game was Bradford and it was like if we'd have won that game we might the, the Bradford game would have maybe been a different result as well we just needed to get the monkey off our back everyone's back with the 15 and unfortunately we couldn't do that in time for Gary to keep his job, and next thing you know, you get a phone call to say you need to come back to the ground. Gaff has been sacked. It was uh, like it was it was heartbreaking for everybody.
1: Yeah, and how, how did you personally feel? Because you know, Gary, like I said, sort of seemed to get the best out of you, didn't he? And, and you'd had an incredible season the season before.
2: I was gutted. I remember Chris Smith ringing up to say you need to. come back with Paddy. We got a time. You need to turn the car around, Paddy, because you need to come back. And he gave round. Um, he, he gave everybody a handshake or a hug. And I remember we're in the car park at the end. Uh, after he'd done that to say bye went and said bye to him again and gave him another hug again just thanked him for everything bearing in mind it was only that was in March time February March time and it was only 10 months ago I was, I was having a drink with the man in dorm celebrating an amazing season so I was I apologised to him he said You've got nothing to apologise for. He thanked me, um, and we went on our way. But yeah, it was a hard one to take at the time.
1: So Nigel Wervington came in, and I, and I sort of vividly remember playing. I think it was Rochdale at home, not long after he, he'd sort of come in, and the ball constantly being over your heads. And I remember sort of commentating on the hospital radio and saying it that, that your kind of body language was was of frustration, really. That the you know, you'd you'd gone away from the style of Gary's that you were clearly really suited to, and, and that, like you mentioned, sort of being able to express yourself in whatever shape it was. Was it a frustration, sort of being in that system because it, d- it didn't look like you were sort of suited to that that sort of direct style that, that Nigel was playing?
2: I think Nigel was was very much one of them that he was totally different to Gary Mills in terms of playing style. I think that's easy enough to sort of see. You know, he was very much solid. 4 no messing around from your center half. no messing around, like, get it up top and then we'll, we'll, we'll deal with it from there. You know, that, that'll get you results and that will, you know, if you can play that way but he, he probably didn't have the players to do that in terms of he, he had some very good technical players, some very good ball f- footballers effectively and that's probably why he ended up bringing a few of his own players in towards, like, the back end of that season which the players could do that. Unfortunately, I probably wasn't one of them either in terms of you would think that well, with, with how quick I am, or you just sort of made me running behind, but he never gave me any information. It was just, we'll put it up to the front two and get around up. And the more it was happening, the more, well, I wouldn't say frustrated I was getting because I was trying, but it just wasn't working. I, I, it wasn't working and I did feel a little bit that I was a Gary Mills player and He's come in and needs to make his stamp on his authority on the team. I wasn't in probably good form for, for Nigel and I was taken out of the team a couple of times and we just never really got on. We, we got on because we got on, you know, so it's your job, but uh, I just never felt the same I don't think you ever would if you Gary Mills to a replacement manager. I mean and probably I I can't speak on behalf of the lads, but I would I would say that a few lads probably also felt the same. But he did a great job. He kept the team up and went on obviously to the next season to to get them to the playoffs. But fair play to him for for that way. But I clearly just wasn't a Nigel Worthington player.
1: You still kept up that knack of scoring important goals. I mean, that crucial one against South End, which I'd, I'd forgotten about, that was really a must-win game, yeah. I think, at the time. If York City had a, had a draw in that, I think we'd have ended up being relegated. Did, did you sort of know at that stage it would be your last game at Crescent? I know Gary Mills offered you a new contract, but I didn't know whether you would have, you would have happily signed that if Gary had stayed or whether you, you were kind of looking to move on at yeah.
2: the end of that season. No, no. So we played Dagenham, didn't we, last game of the season? Yeah. And I, I played in that, but there was a moment at the end of the game where we'd stayed up. Obviously, we i think we'd won—stayed up, and we're in the change room at the end, and the lads were celebrating. And I didn't—not sound like I—I I didn't think it was right, to be honest. It, I didn't think it. I, I was—I was celebrating, but probably not. It was probably a little bit fake. It was probably a little bit more like, "Oh, why don't lads? I was brilliant!" Blah blah blah, rather than really meaning it and I think Nigel took that the wrong way in terms of you know you've just stayed up celebrate 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 and I didn't celebrate as much as probably what he thought I should have put it that way that was and that was probably the the breaking point in terms of he probably doesn't even remember this and yeah I just thought that I was happy obviously we stayed up and this that other, but there was an element in me that just still couldn't quite shrug off the Gary Mills thing And the fact that I think Nigel, we didn't really see eye to eye. You know, it was it was okay, cool. Let's get back, let's celebrate back. I celebrated with the lads back at home or back in York, should I say? But to celebrate with Nigel was a bit weird. I thought it was a bit strange. But I don't and I I've got no nothing wrong against the man. I've got no no problems with it whatsoever. I think my dad played with him. My mum my knows his knows his wife. But yeah, just just for that moment. And I think he will probably not remember that moment, but yeah, just we just we just I think that was a bit of a breaking point there.
1: So so was it was the contract then from Gary, was it was that able to be was that still offered to you or, or was it Is it different? No, so so Gary,
2: Gary offered, yeah, no, so Gary offered me a contract in the January to for an extension, and then obviously we went on that run, and we didn't hear anything back from it since. Then at the end of the season, Nigel called me into his office and said, "Right, I know Gary offered you a contract, but we don't know what that contract is." And I told him exactly what it was, like. No lying or anything, no putting a couple of hundred quid on or whatever. And he just said, no, well, I'm not prepared to offer you that. I just went, okay, no problem. Oh, well, I'm not prepared to stay then. So thank you very much. Shook his hand, shook his assistant's hand and off I went. And that was that. Said goodbye to all the staff there. Had a wonderful two years there. Didn't know where I was going next, but I knew then... Like I say, there was that there was that moment of okay. Well, I um, really enjoyed the last few months anyway. Thank you, and I'll I'll take my chances wherever else that may be.
1: Was that quite a scary thing then, or did you know that? Because I I vaguely remember Portsmouth would would sort of almost announce that that you'd signed for them at, at the time, and yeah, they,
2: yeah,
1: and then you ended up yeah, completing
2: with an Yeah, no, they announced I'd signed yeah, before I'd even met them. Right. <laughs> so I, I went. I went down that day. I was on the way down that day, and I got there. Guy Whittingham, the manager at the time, said to me, "Really sorry, somebody has announced on social media on our social media platform that you've signed." But it was just a conversation. I wasn't, I hadn't signed. But again, I just shrugged it I Said, that, "Look, that's fine. Don't worry about it." I didn't. We hadn't talked anything of the sort. We hadn't talked football. We hadn't talked. We hadn't even seen the the club anything of the sort. And yeah, I yeah, lo and behold, I was all up for Portsmouth I thought it was a great opportunity great decision but then I got a phone call from Graham Alexander at Fleetwood and I was actually going to Scotland to see some family members up in Scotland and he said stop at Fleetwood on the way and have a look I was with my grandma and Graham went out of his way to to see my to see say hello see my grandma see my dad see my granddad see my auntie and yeah for the rest of the journey back from Fleetwood all I got from my grandma was that Graham's a nice man. That Graham's a <laughs> nice man. You should go there. He'll look after you. He's a really nice man, and I, I really liked what he said. I really liked. Again, I got the feel for the club. I got the feel like I did with York. The uh, the chairman when I met him for the first time was like, "We're going all the way, mate, and we want you with us." It, obviously, getting promoted with Fleetwood, they had the scene. Probably four game or three, four games that we'd had against each other, and yeah, lo and behold, I thought, right, I, I fancy this one. I, I, I know Portsmouth was a, is a much bigger club. It was financially better for me, but Fleetwood, like York, York so Cambridge, the Cambridge York one, Fleetwood was was the one that made me feel, yeah, this is where we will get success, some success. From what these people are saying and their ambitions and everything else, Portsmouth were very. No, no Portsmouth were very ambitious, but they just finalised the takeover from the dodgy chairman to the fans' right. ownership, and it was almost like okay. You need to sort of just get yourself together first and Fleetwood are already there, ready to go again.
1: I like the way you had the power of the social media from Portsmouth putting the pressure on him and the power from your grandma um, for Fleetwood. Right, well, Who would you listen to? <laughs> My gran, definitely.
2: Exactly, exactly. <laughs>
1: you signed for Fleetwood, but but initially was sort of in and out of the side and then I mean, obviously you had the devastating news about your brother Ross becoming uh, seriously ill. I mean, I don't want to put words in your mouth, but I presume the whole situation made football sort of pale into significance really and your priority will have been sort of family around that time.
2: Yeah well again I'd gone from two years of York of pretty much playing every game and even before that so you've got Kilominster and all the way down I was always playing and Graham Alexander was he was a good coach but I wasn't being picked and I had to sort of learn that in terms of okay right i'm not clearly a part of his sort of starting 11 i've got to do it either way i went on loan to northampton just to try and get a couple of games i actually did a few little ligaments in my foot which which terminated that one but at that point while i was basically sort of off injured i found out about my brother and whew, little did i know that you need to go through something like that to realize just what is important and what isn't you know, me not playing at Fleetwood at the time was like, oh, the world's going to end, blah blah. It's mm-hmm. the worst thing ever. Then you, know, you get a phone, you get a, your mom and your sister-in-law come home. I was looking after his kids at the time and t- tell us the news. I remember I had to, I rang Graham at half eleven at night because they were playing Wickham away and I knew he wouldn't be at home yet. I knew he would be able to stay on the coach, so he said, "Look, I'll call you. I'll call you the next morning." And then he rang me the next morning, explained everything. He gave me, he gave me a few, like, the, however much time I needed off. And when I went back up, the injury had healed. It had been a couple of weeks. The injury had healed, and by then I was, I was back training. And it sounds stupid, but I wasn't really caring. I just I, there was other things mm-hmm. going on, but the one thing I never stopped doing was trying. And I was playing the. Best football I've ever played and a really random and I haven't really said this to anybody in terms of pre-match preparation. Never thought I was going to play. There's a, uh, a game Bristol Rovers at home. Didn't even think I'd be in the squad. Rocked up after just eating a tuna sandwich like however long ago thinking whatever. Look at the team board, I'm starting. I'm like, wow, lads! Who's put, who's put me up here? Who's, who, who's, who's having the joke? That's what I said at the time. Who's, who's joking with me, here, lads? Come on! I haven't been anywhere near the starting eleven, and now all of a sudden, I'm randomly starting. And from that moment on, I never got out of the team, and it was like because that mindset switched in me from thinking the world was going to end because I'm not playing in a team to just go and enjoy it go and enjoy it you've you you, you you've got things going on at home that are far worse like you give the ball away so what mm. so what do you think that like, made you a better player go, going forward well without a doubt it, it was I can't say it was what I needed but no. it was a it was a reality it was a big reality check to go you give the ball away the world isn't going to end tell you what if you give it away Just work hard like you always do and try and get it back. And that's what I did. I was brave on the ball. I was more confident. I was in the right positions all the time. And I, I barely put a foot wrong other than the first 45 minutes in the semi-final at home to York when we played York where I was terrible. That was the only 45 minutes out of about 15 games where I thought you're playing crappier. Sorry for swearing. Sorry for swearing. No, it's You're fair. playing. You're playing rubbish. We've, we've, we've had bad. John Parkin you, on before. Don't you're worry. Playing, all right. You're <laughs> playing rubbish here, basically. Yeah. So, and that—that that was it. That—that was—that was the reality check. I mean, he, and talking to Parky, he was—he was—he was next level with me. Him, Scotty Davis, all the lads there. Wow. Without without them as well, their characters and their their personality, it, it, everything. Yeah, they they made it easy for me by the end.
1: Yeah, I mean you did play well in the first leg, which obviously was at Booven and Crescent, and you you got the only goal in the semi final. How, how was that to sort of? How did it feel to score against a club which is clearly very close to your heart, York City?
2: Yeah, it was a it was one of them. I was obviously there to, to do my to do my job for Fleetwood, and and I wanted to win just as much as any game that I played in, even though it was against York. I wanted I wanted to score because I had an all right scoring season that season for games I I only played and it went through my head that if you do score you you don't celebrate you you, you have that respect there but we knew that York could be a tough team there in terms of the physical team in terms of direct and everything else and we had to sort of prepare for that and then I was lucky enough to to get the goal to to win the tie effectively and yeah it was it was a another special moment unfortunately against York, but it was another special moment at Bootham Crescent.
1: And another special moment for you at Wembley as well to get promoted again. I mean, it must be, Yeah. it felt like you were going every year at that point.
2: And that, again, <laughs> though, the, you, the, the confidence going into the game for myself personally, again, because the, the first 45 minutes of Bootham in the two legs, I was poor. Got scored in the second half, which I know you're only talking Ten years ago, but that probably meant if you scored, you're going to play the next game. So mm. I thought to myself, "Well, I've played rubbish, but I've scored, so I'm still hopefully going to keep my shirt for the for the second leg." I got man of the match in the second leg, and I was then thinking to myself again, "Well, I've played well, I've got man of the match. I'm going to play at Wembley. I'm now going to be in his team at Wembley." Luckily, I was, and yeah, just knowing that I'd been there pre- two years previous, twice, win twice, knowing exactly what it was all about. I thought, right, here we go again. Basically, let's do this. I actually didn't play that well, that game. I was was okay, but didn't play great. But we managed to win the game and the celebrations were just as good and everything was go again. And it's another memory that I can cherish and will last.
1: Yeah. I mean, you had a few loan spells away from Fleetwood when they got promoted. I don't think you played played as much. I mean, you had a year at Mansfield, but you moved to Doncaster in 2016. It was obviously a great move for you. It seemed like a really good fit for you, sort of looking at your career. And uh, I mean, particularly that first season as well, promotion from League Two and... We were so close to winning the league as well. I'd not realize it was like only two points separated three teams. And do you look back on that with a slight regret that that you worked, sort of didn't go up as champions? Because I think you you sort of had a real oh, good side yeah. that
2: year. Yeah, it can't be a regret because if we didn't. It wasn't through the lack of effort, but we had dominated four fifths of that season in terms of we got promoted. I think as early as like the middle of March or just with like seven eight games to go, and we still had a chance to win the league the last day of the season and it was in like the last 20 minutes of the game we didn't realise at the time but Hartlepool away we still had an opportunity to win even though the month of April we were terrible did we win one in six or something or not even that like we drew two lost four or something and we still had a chance to win the league that's how that's how sort of dominant we were and we should have won the league. that goes without saying but we didn't we set out what we achieved out so in terms of promotion. the only you know, it's not a regret but the only thing that should have happened that season is we, with the players we had we should have won the league but we didn't and can't be a regret but it, it's a bit of one to tell you with how good we were for so long.
1: Yeah, and and you played Arsenal in 2017 as well in the League Cup, 44,000 people there at the Emirates, and you lost 1-0, but you came closest to getting equalised with a header that hit the bar, and again that must be um, a real good memory I mean I looked at it, it said Arsenal made 11 changes but the side they put out was incredible it like Theo Walcott Alexis Sanchez Olivier Giroud and Jack Wilshire as well
2: it must have been incredible to play and yeah. test your, your wits against those sort of players it, it was amazing yeah Ross passed away July 20 ninth of July 2017 and he would have been the first one to be buying a ticket for that Arsenal game and when you talk about moments in life or moments in history and what have you, it was almost like it was meant to be sort of that sort of game. Now, I hit the bar, like you said, if I'd have scored, I'd have broke down there and then in terms of like mm. emotions and, and everything of the above. But yeah, I shouldn't have even been there for the corner. That's the beauty of it. I'm usually one that stays back for for Doncaster I was. But I, I thought, no, this is my one opportunity to, to go and have a go and as soon as Leon Mandeville took the corner, I thought this is the, I've got a chance here this is on me, and the header's actually really good, but it obviously it hits the bar but yeah, that would have just been we've spoke about a few already, but that would have been another moment in a in a football career that I never thought I'd had that I would have that that was, it will it, the, these these things will stay with me forever in in my own memory with within my family. We talk about it a lot. My, my brother's best friend, James Keith, is an Arsenal fan, and we talk about it a lot. We're praying that Reece Nelson becomes the next big thing because that's the shirt that I managed to get. Couldn't get Alexis Sanchez. He, he was, yeah, that's another story altogether. But he, uh, but yeah, it, it's just it was another really special moment that we look back now and think, wow, that was that was wicked.
1: Did you think the header was in when it when it you connected? with Yeah,
2: right? yeah. Yeah, I, I don't know what Ospina was diving for. That's what genuinely I thought about at the time. I, I know it sounds arrogant and I'm not arrogant in the slightest, but I thought oh, that's it. And then it just obviously hit the top of the bar and I was like, oh, come on, you can't do that to me. <laughs> come on. But no, still, still had a wonderful, wonderful experience playing there and, and playing against all them players and, and in that stadium.
1: And you'd sort of converted to being a right back or a right wing back, hadn't you, at this point? Was that a manager's yeah. sort of conscious decision or were you sort of covering injuries? How, how did it turn out that you ended up moving back?
2: Yeah, both. Yeah, um, it turned out that, so we had a really good right back at Donny called Niall Mason, but we had a little bit of an issue with our, in our left back position. Now, Niall was a full back who could do both. So Niall ended up going sort of left back and I was, I was the best of a bad bunch at right back. But when you're playing in the team for Donny and the players we had in that team that season, I wasn't a right back. I was basically just a right winger that did very little defending. We always had the ball and I was always just bombing on. And Darren Ferguson quite liked that. So I'd, I'd managed to play 20, 30 games or 20 odd games at right back. And then lo and behold, the following season, the same sort of scenario happened again. And I was just a natural fit to go right back. And then when Grant McCann came in it happened again I was playing in midfield for him at the time and then we had a couple of issues with fullback so I ended up playing right back for a few games but at that moment I was playing with players that were far better than me in midfield or wide areas up front and I was like wow I'm just grateful now to be to be on the pitch, playing with these people, and giving it my all for these people, and yeah, I was just happy to be playing at that point. So it didn't matter where it was, as long as I was playing.
1: And it looked like sort of again, sort of Doncaster was it? You know, sort of on and off the pitch for you because you won these sort of community players of the year didn't you and, and you were doing a lot of work I think yeah. for sort of mental health and I presume was around inspiration around your brother
2: like York like Fleetwood, well, all the clubs really but the, the, the ones where you get we spoke about already I committed myself fully to them and when you say you committing yourself fully to them I've had a few people now say to me from York from Fleetwood, from Doncaster, from even Cheltenham and Mansfield. Now, I still speak to a few people from all these clubs and that's because I like to think that I treat everybody the same, it doesn't matter who they are. And with the Doncaster one, because I was there for four years, I really got to know the staff well. And we had a, a media man called Luke Thornhill and he would ask me to do things he knew that I probably wouldn't say no to as well. And lo and behold, I became a bit more of like a community player as such as well in terms of he'd asked me, players dropped out from his player appearance, can you cover him? Yes, no problem, be there in 10 minutes. It, it was like that relationship by the end. So I was getting myself in and around everywhere in Doncaster just doing player appearances for the football club and the community. And then lo and behold, he threw everything back at me and we had a great relationship where he was doing anything and everything to sort of help me because he knew I'd help him and then you make friends in the community and one thing leads to another and you find yourself helping wherever you can no matter what you're doing just to be I always said to him the best version of yourself just to be a good person and that's what I I try and do every day.
1: And and Doncaster was I think the the longest you'd ever been at a club as well hadn't it at that point and sort of the rest of your career really?
2: Yeah it it was four years there and Obviously, cut short for COVID, but after the success of probably the first year, I was not a proven player, but I was I was well cemented within within the club, and it felt like I'd probably been there for five six years, with just knowing everybody, getting on with everybody. There's there's a there's a lead, you know, an, an older couple, Corin and Dave, who have became pretty much like surrogate grandparents to my kids. And we love them to bits. You know, we're up there two, three times a year to see them. And these relationships, you know, they're not just made up. They're not just said, they're genuine. And I appreciate every single person that I've come into contact with throughout football. And hopefully they've appreciated what I've given back to what they've given me.
1: And you ended up moving on to Cheltenham and, and I mean, what a first season you had with them. I mean, you won the yeah. league, played Man City in the FA Cup and and I guess the only thing that will have been a, a, a regret or a frustration looking back will have been that a lot, those games were played behind closed doors weren't it, because of a pandemic?
2: Yeah, again though, Cheltenham, I was very fortunate to get that sort of contract, that role, that gig if you such and it came a little bit from Darren Ferguson because he was at Peterborough at that time. He signed a player called Ryan Broome from Cheltenham, which allowed the budget, whatever you want to call it, it freed up a, little, a bit of money for me to be able to sign a contract. They were, when I first went down there, Michael Duff, now at Barnsley, he said, that I can't offer you anything. I've got nothing to offer. All I can offer you is a bit of training, a bit of pre-season friendlies or something like that. I was like, perfect. That's great. I need to keep fit because... Doncaster had let me go at that point, and okay, no problem. And then two weeks later, Ryan Broom goes to Peterborough. Michael Duff calls me in and goes, "Right, if you want, basically that Ryan Broom's contract, we've got it. There it is. Take it or leave it." I didn't have anything else at the time, so I thought, "Thank you very much. I, I, yeah, I, I'll give us, I'll give that a go for one season." It was only for a year, and we had a that season you just mentioned there, and. Managed to sign another two-year contract to do three years, or should have been three years at Joutenau. And what a wonderful time it was there as well.
1: Yeah, I mean, that, that Man City game in particular as well, I remember watching that because it was live on BBC, wasn't it? I mean, you, I think you won yeah. the up after about 75 minutes and Man City came back 1-3-1. And, and I think Phil Foden at the time was just unbelievable on the night. But, yeah. but it must have been incredible yeah. sort of to think, God, we're, we're so close to, to kind of having a massive upset. And they had all the bu- yeah, big no, guns we, out, we, didn't they? Yeah,
2: we, we had them rattled. No, we had them rattled. Um, Alfie May scoring score 72nd minute. And, you know, the, the beauty from, or say beauty, the naivety, not from Man City, but the people in the League in league 2 that season was, everybody thought that Cheltenham was just a long-throwing, lump-hit like, team. And Ben Tose has probably got one of the longest throws that I've, that I've seen. And it's just as good as a corner. Now, if you've got someone like that who can do that, you throw it into your box. And that's how Alfie got his goal. It was a a scramble and he poked it in. But we played a lot of football that season as well, which people didn't see. And I think when we played Man City, we had a very good balance of both. Man City dominated the ball, of course, they're going to. And we we frustrated Dorman and and this, that, and the other. But we also played a little bit as well. And the goal came from a direct throw, flick on, And it was only that after that moment they started then throwing on all the big guns. Like they they started with some, but they threw them all on by the end. And lo and behold, yeah, ten minutes, bang bang bang, they do it to people. They do it to teams in the Premier League. They did it to us But for yeah for seventy five minutes. I think we had them rattled.
1: I mean, it shows a massive compliment to Cheltenham, wouldn't it? The fact they did throw all the big guns on shows how, how rattled they were. Yeah. Uh, I and mean, You mentioned earlier that you had Reece Nelson's shirt from Arsenal. Did you get a, a decent one from the Man City game?
2: No. Oh, God. So, <laughs> oh God. So COVID, obviously, we weren't allowed uh, course, to yeah. exchange shirts or anything else, but Phil Foden was fantastic because he, came, he was the only one that came into the changing room at the end to give Alfie his shirt because Alfie had scored and Alfie was brilliant that night and Philip congratulated him on scoring and gave him all that and gave him his shirt. So we were told before the game that the club would get all the shirts sorted, like club to club, don't talk to them or don't interact with them because you don't want to be seen on cameras interacting and, and breaking any COVID rules and all that sort of stuff. And lo and behold, the season goes on and on and on and nothing's coming through. So we take, not take it upon ourselves, but we're at. And toes of the captains asking every every week for where are they where are they where are they where are they? Finally they come through, but it's just a signed shirt from the player you played against, and the player that I played against was Benjamin Mendy. Oh God! And yeah, that's why i pulled the faces. Well. Yeah. And then two months later, two months later, <laughs> he's in prison, and it's like. And I was one of the few that was really banging the drum, trying to get these shirts, trying to get I'm Trying to, I even tweeted saying when we won the league, saying congrats that when Man City won the league, congratulations, like from champions to champion. Can we have our shirts now? <laughs> you know, like I really tried to get these shirts, and yeah, I've got a signed uh, at the moment, signed Benjamin Mendy shirt. I haven't got rid of it yet, but
1: you might be able to wash your He's going to
2: get literally. off it. No, he's going to get off it. i he's, <laughs> he's, he's, it's hopefully just a load of nonsense, but yeah. It, it's it, yeah. Where as soon as that news came through, I got I got slaughtered from everybody saying it deserves you right, it blah it blah all this. But we all got a shirt. Put it that way.
1: How was it playing behind closed doors? Because it must have been. I mean, I, I was lucky enough to sort of commentate at some York City games. It was just so surreal hearing the players just talk. Like obviously, I wasn't not be privy to that. How was it for you as a player? Because so, I think some players weren't particularly sort of fussed by it being behind closed doors some players were really missed the atmosphere and all that sort of stuff how how did you find it and how how difficult was it to sort of motivate yourself with no crowd there
2: I found it right. that obviously the crowd being not in there was the miss but there was other things happening that I preferred not necessarily in terms of kick-off times for example really random timings like there wasn't the standard three o'clock or 7.45. We were kicking off at five o'clock some evenings. And next thing you know, you're finishing the game, you're on the coach on the way back. And it's like, wow, it's still about nine o'clock, 10 o'clock here. It's not like three in the morning where it's all that sort of stuff. And then changing rooms as well. So when you go into away changing rooms, some of them are tiny. Some of them you can barely move in. And then next thing you know, you're in a big like, conference room because they need to space you out so yes the fans without a doubt that was missed Uh, you missed them but the other elements of it there was like okay this actually isn't too bad you've got a lot of space when you're getting changed and the, the timings for games were probably a bit better but yeah, obviously it's gone back to normal now and it's in back to where it is and how it's always been and so be it. But yeah, it was a couple of things that I thought, oh, okay, this isn't this ain't actually too bad. And,
1: and the crowd were in for when you got your last minute goal against Sheffield Wednesday. I imagine that would have been another sort of top moment for you, Yeah, the last minute sort of header, wasn't it? Yeah,
2: but the whole game again, you know, talk about moments in life and moments that I oh, won't forget. You know, is the first game of playing Sheffield Wednesday that my brother's Sheffield Wednesday fan and first game playing them in the league and scoring an own goal against and Darren Moore being the manager who was my manager at Donny who let me go and it was just like oh here we go sort of one of those moments 2-1 to then when I scored the own goal your brother oh, might have liked run. that
1: though if he,
2: if he was a chef Wednesday though. yeah, no, that, yeah. <laughs> he'd have been
1: pleased I had,
2: I, had a little bit a, I had a little bit of a sort of moment uh, thinking about it but then but then again it was a corner last minute shouldn't have been there I was always like I said with the Arsenal one should have stayed back but it was my moment it was one more, more chance to have a go, losing two one. And this time I managed to to basically poke it in. And when I say every single emotion went through my body, it was it was a surreal moment. It was, without a doubt, the best goal I've ever scored for the fact of everything surrounding it. And I thank Alfie May again. Uh, he picked me up because he knew it, Alfie May had been with me at Donny when it happened and then mm. he knew exactly what was going on and he picked me up. He was there. He, he gave me time to basically cry on his shoulder on the pitch and then picked me up and basically me and him, Sort of, right, come on, we've got to finish the game. And got myself back together, finished the game. And then, yeah, it was just a magical, magical moment that, like I say, will live with me forever.
1: And it's great that you've got that, isn't it? You know, like you mentioned about your brother. It's, yeah. it's, it's such a special sort of story there that you've told us. I mean, you've recently made that really difficult decision to retire. I mean, I was re- reading up on it and, and it sounds like, you know, it, w- it would have been such a long process for you to go through surgery and, and kind of uh, the, the recovery time and everything like that. And that might have been, Sort of looking at two years down the line, and even then, it might not have been a success, yeah. and the sort of longer term implications. I, I know that you're a family man as well. Was it that a key factor in it that you've got a young family and you've achieved so much in football?
2: Without a doubt, yeah. Again, I, at this point, obviously, it was only in September just gone, and football. I, I had again to say to you before, I've had no regrets whatsoever. And to to go for as long as I probably have, and to still think feel like you know like you've had no regrets. I didn't want to carry on and regret carrying on. In terms of I, I had a not I had a decision to make, and like you say I, I had a choice of maybe an operation that wasn't going to work, a two year recovery. I only had a year left on my contract, so I might have been another year without work. I've got two kids that I'm chasing round or trying to chase round now. Anyway, how would you? Basically tell them, look, I'm, I'm on crutches here, mate. I can't do it. It would have put more pressure on my wife. And I just thought, well, you've had a good time. You, you've enjoyed it. End when you want it to end. Don't let... I've, I've unfortunately experienced friends that have... Football's retired them and they haven't retired... And I look at it and think, oh, you've got an opportunity to hit an opportunity here to retire on a bit of a high, no regrets. Knowing I'd given everything I'd given, it wasn't really too much to think about, to be honest. The club, Charlton, were unbelievable with me in terms of. They left no stone unturned with every option that I had and they were more than happy to sort of talk to me through everything, every decision, everything that I was going through. I'd like to think they would have wanted me to try and carry on, but they knew at the same time that they probably wouldn't have got the same player and me not being able to give them that would have affected me as well and they know that. So yeah, it was very much of a a mutual agreement to say thank you very much. Football, basically, and on to the next thing.
1: Yeah, I mean, four promotions, an FA Trophy, over 500 career appearances. You must be so proud, you know, look, looking back from... Is that what
2: it is? I didn't even know that. Yeah,
1: looking back from your yeah, sort yeah. of time uh, running around as an Andrex puppy, I mean, you you must be so proud to sort of look at that and think how far you actually came through, like you say, hard work and, you know, working... Tirelessly see, for every club that you've been at. And that's why supporters, I'm sure when we release this, supporters of every club you've played for will give it a listen and, and want to hear your story again. You must be so proud of, yeah. proud of what you've done in the game.
2: I am. I'm, like I say, from from a 16-year-old boy just working hard and, and trying his best to, what, it was effectively 17 years on, to be able to say those things you've just reeled off there without a doubt yeah I'm very proud of that there's you know I've got people around me that are probably more proud than I am it's you know it's just just had a drive a desire determination and a hunger to want to succeed and that's all it was my footballing ability isn't that good and I'm not saying that Uh, to downplay myself or anything else but yeah just to to offer anybody that sort of career I'm sure a few people would snap their hands off I'm sure there's a few people out there saying that well you should have done better you should have played in the championship the Premier League you could always do better but I've gave it everything and I think any person in life any football fan if they know that they're getting 100% out of their players they'll go with that regardless really of how they necessarily play and that's something that I was, stuck with me, like I said at the start of this, probably from a dad with his work ethic and work rate to want to succeed as well.
1: And, and what does the future hold for you? I mean, I know it's, you said it was September, wasn't it? So it's not that long ago. I don't know how far on you are with what, what the next chapter is. But I mean, how, are you likely to stay in football? What, what, what's the sort of next chapter
2: for you looking like? Yeah, no. So the, the, next, the next chapter for me is, so I think, well, it, it's happening. So I'm working in my dad's team and workwear shop now, which is a, team of workwear for printing and embroidery so he's got a very good reputation around commentary at the moment but he hasn't really expanded out of commentary and it's my job now to effectively get a couple of working websites where i can branch out to the nation and anybody providing football kits or providing workwear for for anybody that that may need some embroidery or print putting on their tops for their logos sending it up to them and and expanding an already successful business into basically nation rather than regional and that he's given me the opportunity to do that i think he will sort of step away once i fully get in control of it along with my sister and the the, the people that work there now we've got a little team on the go that hopefully we can we can all work together and like you say the hard work ethic and the determination to succeed hopefully will pull me through this as well the new challenge is what i call it
1: and I guess because you you've done some of those sort of other jobs before football, it's not like all you've known is football. You have worked alongside yeah. it before, haven't you? Which I'm sure will, will help. What, what what do you think
2: you'll miss the most about football? The thing is, I enjoyed it all. Okay, it'd be hard to say one particular thing. Everyone always goes back to the dressing room and the banter and everything else. Like that is goes without saying. That you you won't get that in a normal workplace. And some of the some of the laughs you have are, are brilliant. But I couldn't name you one thing in terms of you had to put one thing on me but probably if, if you had to put one thing on me I'd say winning winning the game in terms of that, when a ref rose the whistle and you would that evening after a Saturday is, is the best part the half an hour in the change room at the end to everybody laughing smiling going home putting your feet up enjoying looking at results and all that and knowing that you've done your bit you play, played 90 minutes and we'd win. I'd probably say that's the one thing that I will probably miss the most but it is when I say I'm missing it. I'm not missing anything at the moment. I'd I'm, I'm, like to say, I'm in the period at the moment where I've enjoyed every moment of it and I'm grateful for every moment of that. So I might hopefully still feel like this, but if I do start missing it, I'll go and play five-a-side with my mates and and win that way and get the kick that way but we'll see how we get on Do you
1: think you'll miss pre-season training next July?
2: I enjoyed it I enjoyed <laughs> it again, again uh, no, I'm, a, I'm, a bit, I'm a bit of a weirdo like, in terms of I, I was always I, I, pr- I, was, pr- I was proud I prided myself on, on being the top group in, and being one of the first round and the players that I play with will probably all say Blairy could run the people that watch me yeah the one thing that I had was legs to run and like I say to you I maxed my legs out my legs my right knee's giving up on me but I've maxed out and that's why I've got no regrets so yeah no, I enjoyed I enjoyed all the challenges any challenge you put in front of me I'll, I'll, I'll enjoy it and pre-season was just another another one to, for me to to have a crack at
1: well mate it's been fascinating to ch- chat with you about your whole career and, and I hope you've enjoyed sort of looking back on it and uh, best yeah, of luck no, with everything you in oh, yeah. the future. It's been been great to speak to you.
2: No, thank you. I really appreciate it as well.
3: Massive thank you to Matty Blair there for giving up his time. It was it really was the time that I got him on the podcast. Um it was criminal really but I've interviewed the vast majority of that twenty twelve side so and never got Matty on, but you know it was it was time to put that right and given his recent retirement I thought that was a, that was a perfect time to get in touch with him and see if we could do kind of a reflective interview over his his wider career so hopefully everyone enjoyed that it was lovely to see Matty get such a warm reception when he came back so LNER Community Stadium was a hospitality guest recently and I'm sure people have really enjoyed listening to that and also a massive massive thank you to everyone who's been leaving comments for the past three episodes it's been lovely to read um, so many positive comments and people praising the interviews and particularly Dennis Smith who you know so many people have sort of said about how it sort of transported them back to sort of happier times which is exactly what the podcast is all about and um, you know it's been really really nice to read those particularly after having a bit of a break it's between the the last couple of series so really delighted with kind of people saying you've been so supportive of the podcast and you know you always get those things when you're doing them thinking oh well, are people still going to be, be interested in these and you know am, am i going to kind of run out of content and people are gonna you know get a bit a little bit bored of it but it almost seems to be the opposite people um, seem really pleased to have it back and and you know got their way to kind of say how much they are enjoying them so so please keep doing that because uh, that, that definitely gives me the motivation to kind of carry on with it also you know people leaving donations which is which is great which is what it's all about supporting our charity your hospital radio if you're able to do that please do no matter how big or small the donations justgiving.com forward slash your hospital radio all donations are greatly received and then just finally you know if you can leave comments on itunes or you know reviews that sort of thing and you can rate us on Spotify or those sort of things really really do help us and i say it every week but it's worth kind of reiterating because it, it is helpful for us and uh, next week we've got Clayton Donaldson episode 5 again you know you might be thinking you've had him on before but I was very very restrictive first time round we had him out that kind of he belonged to Bradford City and I had to kind of work through certain things with that and get edits approved by external people whereas uh, this one he's done a, a full hour uninterrupted there's no restrictions on it and uh, you know he picks his all-time York City 11 it's well worth a listen really good insight to everything that happened last season you know his relationship with Steve Watson, John Askey, uh, how he felt about when he got released, how he felt about winning promotion after you know missing out on it in his first spell. So uh, hopefully people really really enjoy that. So that's going to be the next episode. So until then, thanks again.